welcome to another episode of Opera for Everyone. I'm Keely Heron. I'm Pat Wright. And on today's episode, Pat, what are we listening to? Well, as you could probably tell from that music in the beginning, it is a Baroque opera. It does sound very Baroque. (laughs) It is. It is. By that great Baroque master, Handel, and the great writer of operas. You know, Handel wrote over 40 operas. I did not know that. Not to mention cantatas and oratorios, but we, of course, are focusing on operas. And this is probably his first smash success. This was first produced during the carnival season in Venice, 1709-1710. Agrippina. And what what is Agrippina about? (laughs) Well, Agrippina is a historical character. In fact, every character in this opera existed in ancient Roman history, with the exception of the servant who kind of just introduces people as they walk into rooms and such and makes a few little side comments. All the other characters for real existed in history and knowledge of them by the librettist was gleaned from the annals of Tacitus and Suetonius's Life of Claudius. Claudius uh, was an emperor. Correct. Oh, Correct. look at so me. So we'll do... Yay, chalking up, yay. Chalking up wins early in the program. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Well, this is set in the middle of the first century. So this is early in the imperial period. Okay. In that period that was inaugurated by Augustus, as opposed to the Roman Republic, which ended with Julius Caesar. It doesn't mean a ton to me, because as we know, <laughs> but my... Uh, it, it, will mean, it will mean something to our listeners who enjoy ancient history like who, I do. Who know more about ancient history than I do. So this is middle of first century, and it's interesting. Not only are all these characters historical, you know how I I love to make fun of opera really messing up history? Yeah. There doubtless is some little bit of mess up, but fundamentally, there's historical truth in this opera, which is really fun to say. Well, and it's exciting for me because most of my knowledge of history, certainly in the in the past couple of years, has come from Opera for Everyone. It's, well, you know, you listen to enough operas and you do get some history in, don't you? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> because some of these historical setups give such profound drama. So let's start by introducing our first characters and then we'll throw in the history as we go along. Oh, I did want to mention the librettist up front, because this is part of the great success of this opera. It's not just Handel's genius. It is also the fact that he had Cardinal Vincenzo Grimani as his librettist, who was an accomplished librettist. Obviously, he's well-placed in the church. He's a cardinal. He's a diplomat. And his family owns an opera theater in Venice, where this is first produced. Well, that's very convenient. Right. So this is for, <laughs> well, it's, it's convenient, but Handel spent about three years in Italy early in his career before moving to London and, and having all his successes. That, this is well before the, that. And Handel's is, German. Handel is German. Okay. And he, he does quite well in Germany. In fact, he gets some prestigious posts, but he doesn't entirely want to be utterly beholden to the political authority. Right. And he actually carves out a path for himself. You can't you can't be a successful composer without having interactions with royalty. And he even does that in London, but there's a lot more independence that he's able to have in London. This is before all that. He goes to Italy because he loves this music and he wants to learn from the epicenter of where opera is being created, which is Italy. 
Yes. And he does, he composes two operas there and countless oratorios and cantatas. And he really learns and hones his craft there. And the fact that this is such a success with him as a German, an outsider, it had an unprecedented 27 performances in Venice after its debut. It was it was a smash success. Handel. Handel. Who knew? <laughs> well, a lot of people would say they knew early on. He 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 was good. So, let's set the scene and we'll we'll add in more details as we go along, but there's there's a lot of music. This is a a, a lengthy opera. So this is a this is an opera in three acts. It is. And we are going to open on the private apartments of Agrippina. She is the wife, fourth wife, I could parenthetically add. She is the wife of the Emperor Claudius. Uh And Claudius is away at war. And she gets word that her husband, the Emperor, has been killed on a ship. The storm at sea has overtaken his ship and he has drowned. And so she receives the bad news of the death of her husband. Does she fall into instant weeping? Oh no, she springs into action. Really? Is she celebrating? No, she's plotting. She says, okay, well, he needs a successor. The successor should be my son, Neroni, which in English we say Nero. Nero, right. But he's not Claudius' son. Nero is Agrippina's son from a previous marriage. I see. So she really does need to plot to have him become emperor. And she springs into action with plotting. Let's hear a little piece of Nerone singing with your wise counsel. He says, yes, mother, I will follow your rules. By the way, he's a young teenager at this point. Thank you. 
listening to Opera for Everyone, and on today's episode, we are listening to Handel's Agrippina, and we've just heard from Neroni, who is the son of Agrippina, and the voice is surprisingly feminine. <laughs> yes, this is one of those roles that was originally written for a soprano castrato. We've spoken about the use of the castrati in Baroque opera before. Very, very popular to have these powerful voices produced by men, but men who were surgically deprived of going through puberty. So their voices do not deepen. Right. And you could have a soprano castrato, which is the role of Neroni, or Nero as we know him in English. And there was originally an alto castrato playing the role of Narciso, who we'll meet shortly. And then there's another role for a feminine voice in a male character. But interestingly, a contralto, a woman, played that one originally, the uh, the male love interest. Oh, interesting. All kinds of gender-bending traditions in opera. It's true. It's true. And these roles can be played these days. These roles can be played by mezzos or sopranos or contraltos or, in fact, by countertenors who are becoming more and more available and well-trained to be able to take some of these roles. And then at least the audience, while having to, a modern audience having to make sense of a, of a feminine sounding voice, at least they have a masculine looking person delivering it. It's, it's quite impressive actually, that the whole countertenor experience. And so, so in this case, these are counter, countertenors are singing these roles. In our recording, the, the role of Neroni Ottone and Narciso are all played by countertenors. So the, the male characters with the feminine sounding voices are all men who, who are well trained to sing this beautiful music, much of which was originally written for the Castorati. Right. Okay, and so we've met Neroni, and he is the son of Agrippina, who is the wife of Claudio, and she has just heard that he has died. Yes. So, and Neroni is singing to his mother with your wise counsel. And what is he? He says, with your wise counsel, I shall ascend the throne. Less an emperor than a son, you, mother, I will adore. So he says, mom, I'm going to do whatever you tell me to do. I'm going to become emperor and I owe it all to you. So that's music to her ears. No pun intended. Right. <laughs> and just picture someone clapping their hands and then rubbing together. Aha, my scheme is going to work fine. Now I just have to see to some other things. So she, one by one, she's going to call in two of these ministers of state. One is Palante and the other is Narciso, who we mentioned before. And each of them harbors affection for the wife of the emperor, who they believe is now deceased. Ah. And she puts that to use. She plays them like a fiddle. She does. And they will each sing about how wonderful it is that she is showing them affection. She takes each one into her confidence and says, we need your help. I need your help to get my son on the throne. And I will be so grateful to you, wink, wink, mm -hmm. if you assist with this. So let's first meet the bass, Palante. And he will sing, Propitious fate descends today from the stars through you to me. For through you alone, my lovely adored one, my star shines on me, making glorious my faithfulness. So this is be the reason she needs help, and it's just not an automatic, is not only did Claudius not have a son, 
to pass this on to. This is the early days of the Roman Empire, where there was still a little bit of the, I would say, the fiction of the Republic remaining. Because in the Republic, the Senate was all. That, after all, is why Julius Caesar was murdered, because the Senate thought he was acting too much like a king. Mm. It was intolerable to them. But the heir to Julius Caesar was Augustus, known to us in history as the first emperor. But he Mm -hmm. never called himself that. He called himself Princeps, the first citizen. And he became emperor in reality because he held many positions of state simultaneously. And that's how the transition went to become this empire, this imperial form of government. But people didn't talk about it that way. She, she says, I need you to help the people and the army and everyone support my son, because if we have the support of the powerful people, he will be the next leader, the next Caesar. In fact, Caesar becomes a title that they use, which is, in fact, the origin of the word Kaiser, for example. Interesting. Right, it's just a translation into German, Kaiser sure. is Caesar. Huh. So she says, we need to get everything all lined up so when the people in general learn of Claudius's death, everyone will just acclaim Nerone, Nero, to be the new leader. And Palante is all in because then he will be the important person next to the mother of the emperor and probably co-regent, honestly, because he's young. Neroni right. is young. Mm-hmm. So this is Palante. Oh, 
we've just heard from Palante, the Minister of State who has enthusiastically agreed to support Agrippina's plot to install her son Nerone. Yes, and she sends him off and she says, I need, I need the next one. And in comes Narciso, Narcissus, mm-hmm. also a Minister of State, also secretly in love with Agrippina, mm-hmm. also someone she will use to her own ends. He comes in, flatters her, and she says enough of that. To impart a dark secret, I call you to my side. And she explains similarly to the way that she did to Palante, that she needs his help to support her son, becoming the next leader of Rome. And I'm going to stop here for a moment because it's the easiest place to interject this thought. I've read a lot of commentary about Agrippina that says... Yeah, there are a lot of morally dubious people here, but everyone has a redeeming quality. And the redeeming quality that Agrippina has is that she does all her plotting and scheming. And believe me, she plots and schemes more than what we're hearing so far. But she does it for the benefit of her son, which doesn't, I don't, I don't buy that argument. And I'm going to tell you why. I'm going to read from the libretto. She says to Narciso right here, Now is the moment to ensure that the scepter remains in Agrippina's hands. Aha! Go straight away to where the populace and the soldiers are gathered and wait there till I have revealed the fateful news of Claudius's death. Then subtly introduce the name of Nero amongst the crowd. If heaven today allots the throne to Nero, Narcissus shall reign with Agrippina. In other words, she's saying you and I will hold power because I will be regent for my young son. Right. So I don't buy that she's doing it for the benefit of her son. No. (laughs) At any rate, uh, Narciso, Narcissus, is as delighted as Palante was, and he sings happily, I hurry away my heart light at the prospect of happiness. Let's hear just a little bit of his joy.
So we've just heard from Narciso, who is a minister of state in this opera we're listening to today, which is Handel's Agrippina. And it is a little bit, I don't know, not disconcerting, but just surprising that this is, again, this is a man that we've just heard from. Not because it is, it does sound like a female voice. Yeah, it, it's it's a convention of Baroque opera. The the castrati for whom these roles were originally written were the superstars of opera you know we think of the well it can be anyone but the great tenors and the great sopranos come to mind very often when we think of the great opera stars but in Handel's day it was the castrati who were the superstars of the opera and demanded quite a lot from their composers interesting and received untold amounts of affection from the audience when did just to, not to go they down They were sex hole. symbols, by the way, strangely enough, but no. they were. True. It's true. I'm trying to wrap my head around that. I'm just going to leave it alone. Okay. Um, but so, Pat, when did the art of castrati fall out of favor in the opera world? I mean, so in, in Handel's day, we're talking about sort of the 18th century. Early 18th century. By the end of the 18th century, it had fallen out of favor. I think Rossini wrote a couple of parts for Castrati, but really once we're into the 19th century solidly, it's not, it's not done. That's the rise of the tenor in these great romantic lead roles where the Castrati used to have them. Remember when we did Rota Linda, for example, another Handel opera from his later period, the great romantic interest was also sung by a countertenor in our version. I, I don't remember, but that's not surprising because I... <laughs> well, I can remind anyone who's interested that we do have several Handel operas on Opera for Everyone in the catalog. We have episode 30 is Tamerlano, episode 40, Rodolinda, episode 46 is not an opera, Oratorio, The Great Messiah. Oh, The Messiah. I remember that one. Right. Most people... When they think of Handel, they think of the Messiah. Mm -hmm. I certainly did for a long time. And then not too long ago, we did Xerxes. Grant did that one with me, and that is episode 57. So 30, 40, 46, and 57, all Handel. And Tom Erlano, Grant also did. Grant did Tom Erlano. Yep. That's right, and you did Rodolinda with me. It's a wonderful opera. But back to Baroque opera. Let's just, uh, let me take a moment to tell you about Baroque opera, because it's... You, you have a sense of what Baroque means, ornamented, ostentatious, potentially. Mm-hmm. Frosting, and, lots of like frosting. <laughs> and that's true. In fact, a great many of the arias in this opera are what they call da capo arias, which have a repetition. The text of the arias is typically very short, and that allows for two things. It allows for a concentration of emotion, because in general, in Baroque operas, The arias do not advance the plot. The arias are a pause in the moving forward of the plot for 
reflection on what has just happened or an expression of emotion that comes into the character because of what has just happened. So the arias are the passionate, emotion-filled piece of the opera, and it's the recitatives, which more or less alternate with the arias, that's where the plot moves forward. That's where the plot unfolds. Mm. And by the way, this is a very plot-heavy opera. It's wonderful because there's all these twists and turns and deceptions and schemes, and you're seeing a little bit of that already. But the arias are for the reflection, and they have the de capo arias. It's this ABA pattern where they repeat the line, they repeat the text three times, with great embellishment in the middle one, and then a bit of a return in the final one. And you'll hear that as we go through, if you're listening to the words and you can make sense of the Italian, and otherwise just listen and enjoy it. (laughs) So that's Baroque. The other thing I could say about Baroque is it very much fell out of favor by the end of the 18th century. And it was replaced by what? It comes under withering criticism from Gluck, Gluck was an opera reformer starting in the middle of the 18th century. He was vociferous in his criticism against the Baroque style that let these superstar singers, particularly the castrati, dictate how an opera was going to be composed, like how many arias they would get, how many different kinds of pieces they would get, because the stars did demand that. They were divas. Absolutely. Interesting. So, and Gluck says, no, the composer, the librettist, they need to make the story, they need to tell the drama, the text and the music need to to really, first and foremost, tell the story and express the emotion that the story requires. And so he was highly critical of the Baroque style of everybody gets their moment in the spotlight. Let's just, let's do our story. And so his criticism is what was the beginning of the end for Baroque, but... Then you have Mozart in the end of the 18th century, and ultimately we develop into bel canto and more romantic styles of opera with the 19th century, and bel canto will fall under criticism as well with people like Wagner and too much history of opera, I'm afraid. Sorry. (laughs) Not at all. You asked. All right, so Agrippina now has her first aria of the opera. She says, amidst the tempest, my soul hopes to reach its port. This is an aria of triumph. She says, so well have I armed my breast with constancy that with fair land in sight, she is speaking in metaphor, (laughs) even the most baleful storms seem objects of comfort. Yeah, my husband's dead, but I have a purpose. I have a mission and I've set my plan in action. Well, she certainly doesn't let the grass grow under her feet. No, indeed. She's just getting right in there and putting her son on the throne and moving on. Oh, <laughs> 
to Opera for Everyone, and on today's episode, we are listening to Agrippina by Handel, and we have just met our title character, Agrippina, and she's very excited because her plan is working. Oh, her plan is working. She has gotten her son to follow her wishes. He says, yes, I will present myself to the people as though I care for nothing but their happiness and well-being. And she has talked two of the ministers of state into agitating in the crowd as soon as the news of Claudius's death is heard, Mm -hmm. that they will advocate for Nero. Everything's going well for her. The next thing we will hear in the show is that Nero goes out and he panders to the crowd, essentially. He says, oh, it is my pleasure to serve you people to make your wretched lives just a little bit better. Mm, People always like to hear that their lives are wretched, but that they're going to get better. You know, you get a lot of political support that way. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You wretched souls, I'm going to make your life better. He does. He He says it's going to be so much better. And you see Palante and Narciso in the crowd, and they're, they're ready to spring into action. And... Agrippina will actually walk into the center of this spectacle and seat herself on the imperial throne. And from that position on the throne, she delivers the news to the crowd that her husband, Claudius, is dead, dead in the sea, returning home. And it's woe is me, it's what a sad day this is, our emperor was great, and Pellante and Narciso jump in and do the job that she has prepped them to do. And Agrippina ultimately says, long live Nero. Come, my son, ascend the throne. Come and be emperor of Rome. It's all worked out well. Is the opera over? Oh, no. Oh, no. It's just getting started. It's <laughs> Twist of fate. In comes one of Claudius's servants, and he is triumphant. He says, Oh, joy, everyone rejoice. Claudius is not dead. Thank you. 
Claudius' servant has just thrown a bit of a wrench into Agrippina's plan. Yes, he, he tells the crowd to rejoice. The emperor is not dead. And though the ocean was trying to kill him, brave Ottone, Otho in English, he's the one who saved the emperor, that brave, strong man. He retires. We are left to hear Palante, Narciso, Agrippino, and Nerone essentially gnashing their teeth that their plans have been foiled. Each one of those people is disappointed by this news that Claudius lives, Claudio. But Agrippina, ever the resourceful one, says, don't, don't worry, my son, you will ascend the throne, I assure you. We may need more cunning than before, but we're gonna make this happen. And Claudius's servant has one other piece of information to share with Agrippina. He says, my lady, Ottone is coming to speak with you, and I should let you know that your husband is so grateful for his service in saving his life that he has named Ottone as his successor. Oh, you're kidding. I am not kidding. Well, that's going to be a bit of a problem. Yeah, it's no joke. He's going to be the next emperor, and that's an even greater monkey wrench being thrown into the plans because now he has named a successor. Yeah. But Ottone as the servant said, is coming to speak to Agrippina. And he says, yes, 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 I, I, I fought the battles. I saved your husband from the ocean. But there's something I really, really care about. And it's not the throne. It's not the crown. Is he in love with Agrippina too? No, he's in love with a woman named Popea. Oh, And he says, that's what I want. That's the only thing I want. She is more precious to me than any amount of glory or power. Hmm. Precious Popeo, will you, will you help me out with this? Because I don't want to lose her. And Agrippina says, absolutely. Yeah, you bet I can, bucko. I'd be thrilled to help you. <laughs> a woman knows. <laughs> Let's hear a little bit of the aria that Agrippina sings as she responds to this new news where she there's half of its parenthetical by the way she says to him right worthy are you of the laurel in other words the crown and she says meanwhile my heart is aflame with anger but i will help you my friend Ooh. 
So Agrippina's plan has changed a bit, but she's yes, but going to help Ortone find his Popea because he's in love with her. Well, that's what she tells him. But uh, oh, but she's plotting and scheming. She, she is single-minded. She wants Nerone on the throne, and she wants to be regent. Mm-hmm. That is her goal. And any piece of information that she can use to achieve that goal, she will use. However, after what we've just heard her sing, she will leave the stage and Otone is left alone. And we get to hear his aria where he expresses his emotion about what has just happened. In the recitative before it, he says, Fortune, you grant me the very summit, the pinnacle of happiness. To make me blessed, love today unites me with the gift of a throne and the countenance of my beloved. So this man's got it all. Or so he thinks. Or so he thinks. And so he sings this happy song, but there's a little bit of concern even in the lyric. Oh, flattering hope, deceive not my heart, smiling fate, do not change your countenance. So he sings this and he's feeling good, but we of course know. Mm-hmm. It's too good to be true. chump or he might not he kind of has a little bit of a clue that maybe things are too good to be true but he's so sincere in fact it's it's worth remembering that Otone is the one character in this entire opera who is sincere he is not scheming he's not deceptive he says what he means and he means what he says he's a hero no one else in this opera does that mm-hmm including the woman he loves. Let's meet her now. Oh. So a total change of scene now. We are in Popea's chamber. We meet her alone, and she's putting on jewelry and admiring herself. Oh, she sounds lovely. Oh, yes, she says, You precious pearls, you choice flowers, adorn my brow. Increase the rarity of my beauty. Awaken love in men's hearts. She's a coquette. That's the aria we have playing underneath. And she will tell us after that aria, oh yes, I know. Ottone, Claudio, Claudius, Neroni, Nero, all of them have revealed their passion to me. Each one is flattered that he will win my love. So she's a coquette and she knows it. So she has Claudius and Nero and Ottone all in love with her? All in love with her. Huh. Well, that doesn't sound like it could present a problem. Well, problem, opportunity. Right. All are, all are possible. Complicating factor. <laughs> so in comes 
Claudius's servant, and she asks, do you bring any happy news? And he replies, oh, yes, I do. He is alive. Claudius is alive. And he loves you, Papeo. He's coming to visit you now. And there's a little aside that we see out of sight of those characters is Agrippina. And she goes, oh, my husband's servant is here. Let's see what he has to say. So she's listening to this conversation where Lesbos, the servant, says to Popea, Claudius is so grateful to be alive because it means he gets to see you again and he will come to you shortly in this very room. And she says, but, but what about his wife, Agrippina? And the servant says, have no fear, I will keep careful watch for her. So Papaya says, well then, let Claudius come, but he must understand that my heart, even if it is his, is ever constant in its purity. I welcome him as a sovereign, but not as a lover. She's leading all these men on, but she, she wants to continue to proclaim her purity. Oh, I see, okay. So he, he leaves, and Popea will share with us that she's concerned that Otoni has not come to her yet. So she's letting us know what's in her heart, truly. He would be more welcome to my heart because he's the one I love. But what one longs for is always slow in arriving. It's a lovely libretto, really. It's a complicated plot, but there are these gems of lines all over the libretto. Let's hear Popea's aria, Love is a fire that enters the heart. No one knows, it ignites slowly, but then it grows larger and it burns you up completely. This is Opera for Everyone, and you're listening to Handel's Agrippina. We have just heard from the coquette talking about how she's a coquette. Well, she is. And one thing that's worth noting is that educated people of Handel's day would have been 
educated in the classics, and they would have known Tacitus's annals, and they would have known about Poppaea. They Wait, what? They would have known what? They would have known who Poppaea was in the history of ancient Rome, as oh. they would have known who Agrippina was. But a, a word on Poppaea, uh, the reason why we sort of have this hesitation about her isn't just her actions within the opera. On some level, we know what happened with the real historical Poppaea, because when Nero does become emperor of Rome, mm-hmm. she becomes his mistress. She induces him to execute his own mother. Oh, wow. Agrippina because she continues to be a plotter and a schemer. And ultimately, she marries Nero. Let's carry on with the story at this point. Okay, so what happens next? So she says, I like Otone, but I'm going to play my cards. And then what happens? This is the moment for Agrippina to enter and have a conversation with dear Poppea. Mm -hmm. And she comes in all motherly and sweet, saying, Poppea, you know that I love you and care for whatever concerns you, whether it's good or ill. What's on your mind, my, my child, my dear? And Popea might be a little suspicious of Agrippina, but mostly she's really nervous because she's just been told that Agrippina's husband is, is on his way to see her. For a romantic moment. And she, she says, oh, Agrippina, I, I dare not say what's on my mind. And Agrippina says, come on, sweetheart, you can trust me. Well, I love Ottone madly. So she does confess her true feelings. And Agrippina says, oh, sweetheart, you have no idea. He betrays you. What? Wait. Agrippina tells Popea, Ottone betrays you because he knows that Claudius looks at you longingly. Agrippina knows what's up. And he, he wants to do a terrible wrong to you. Ottone has told Claudius... Claudius can have you all to himself if only Ottone can have the throne, which Claudius now holds. What? Popea is shocked. Agrippina says, oh, it's true, I assure you. And to confirm what I say, this very night, Claudius will come to you. He will assume that you will be his. Boy, she's a wily one. Yes, she's a wily one for sure. So she's heard, she's overheard that Claudius is coming and she used all these little pieces of information to work her own schemes. Popea says, what do I do? Advise me. And Agrippina says, yes, I was hoping you'd ask that. And she tells Popea exactly what to do. She said, make sure to make Claudius jealous. Tell him that Ottoni, emboldened by the fact that he's being elevated to the rank of emperor, Tell him that Ottoni insists that you not see Claudius because he himself wants you. Do whatever you have to do when Claudius comes to you tonight to keep him away from you. Don't give in to any of his ardor, but make sure that Claudius tells you that he will no longer give the throne to Ottoni. Make sure he withdraws the offer of the throne from Ottoni because he believes that Ottone is not respecting the agreement of giving you up. And Popea's thinking, and she says, okay, but what if he gives me everything I want? He'll expect me to give in to him. Agrippina says, don't do it, sister. Don't do it. I'm trying to figure out what she's... This is a complicated plot. Essentially, Ottone saved Claudius, and Claudius says, great, I have a worthy man to be my successor. Mm-hmm. Agrippina the wife wants Claudius's stepson, her son from a prior marriage, to be the emperor. Mm -hmm. Claudius is not dead anymore, so she has to get Claudius somehow to name Nerone, Nero, as the new emperor. 
since he's already expressed his intention to put this brave general in that position, she has to figure out a way to discredit him. And she does that because she's got the secret that he really loves Popea. And so she maneuvers Popea into... Or all basically doing her dirty work so that Pario will decide that Batone is not going to be his successor. Exactly. Okay. Having delivered this advice, Agrippina departs. Popea lets us know what's on her mind, mostly. How dare you deceive me this way, Otone? How dare you value the throne over my love? I have all these men after me. I've chosen you, and this is how you treat me? And she sings an aria where she steals herself to take this revenge that Agrippina proposes because she's angry at that Otone would treat her this way. Lesbos enters, the servant of Claudius, and says, Okay, Claudius is here, my lady. Here you go. This is what you've been waiting for. He just loves his master, by the way. (laughs) And in comes the self-important Claudius. By the way, I should mention, Claudius, in terms of the early Roman emperors, Claudius was the emperor who did more good things for Rome without so much of the insanity that Caligula, who preceded him, had, or Nero, who succeeded him, had. Right. Claudius, for instance, was famous for more professional administration of this large Roman Empire and helping the empire to grow, expanding citizenship rights. Hmm. He used freedmen. For instance, Narciso and Pallante are freedmen and they are ministers of state. Freedmen, meaning they had formerly been enslaved. Oh, I see. Formerly unfree. Mm-hmm. So he's not portrayed that way in this opera, but he was one of the more effective emperors in the first century hmm. after Augustus. So Claudio comes in a little bombastically, a little proudly, and he says, Oh, my lady, I once again behold you in wonder. Claudio's trying to seduce her. Pretty words, pretty words, but she doesn't seem to be all that happy. And she she pretends even to to weep. And he says, What what's wrong, my darling? I'm the emperor. I I have a lot of power to fix things that are wrong in people's lives. What what can I do for you? She says, Sir, I am no longer allowed to love you as I wish. And he says, What do you mean? Who forbids you to love me? She says, Oh, I can't tell you. He says, You must tell me. She says, Otone forbids me to love you. Yes, he's full of pride, and he tries to force my affection. And Claudius yells, That traitor? So she's trying to now manipulate Claudius, Uh it gets complicated. (laughs) He's trying to manipulate Claudius by saying, this guy who you think is so great because he saved your life, well, he wants to tear me away from you. He demands that I am loyal and loving towards him. She says, a long time ago, he revealed his secret desires to me. But I love only you, and I and I rejected him. But now he's so proud and haughty because he's going to be the new emperor. He thinks he can do whatever he wants. And he threatens me. Can you believe that? Hmm. So she she goes a step beyond what Agrippina yeah. has told her to do. And Claudius, because he's the emperor and he's a proud man, of course, he becomes enraged. Claudius says, leave it to me. Don't cry, dear heart. I'll take care of him. Is that a promise, Claudius? Yes, I swear it. 
Then Otone will no longer be the next emperor? Absolutely not, my dear. And here we get the one passionate love song from Claudius to Popea. Vieni, o cara, come, my dear, so that in a tight embrace, love may prepare our sweet delight. So that beautiful aria from Handel's Agrippina was our male, well, one of our male leads, Claudio, professing his love for Popea. Well, he's really putting the moves on Popea, as she feared, and she's thinking, what, what am I going to do? And in bursts the servant, my lord, my lord, we, we must leave quickly. Your wife, Agrippina, is coming. That's a relief to Popea. Yep, saved by the bell. <laughs> Absolutely. And then, so she can like blow kisses at him as he goes, oh, too bad we were interrupted. Oh, that's a shame. (laughs) And then the the act ends with this wonderful interaction between Popea and Agrippina because it's a little bit of sisterhood being expressed because that's how Popea sees it. Mm. Popea sees it as Agrippina helping her out. Yeah. But Agrippina knows that she's just manipulating Popea to her own ends. And there's this much-cited aria that Agrippina sings, my heart exists only to love you, she sings to Popea. I'll always be your friend with pure and sincere affection. May trickery, deception, and cunning never come between us. Hmm. Yeah. Not so much, huh? Popea, she's a little naive. Oh, <laughs> 
You're listening to Opera for Everyone, a radio show and podcast that makes opera understandable, accessible, and enjoyable for a mainstream audience. It airs Sundays from 9 to 11 a.m. Mountain Time on 89.1 KHOL in Jackson, Wyoming. KHOL is Wyoming's only community radio station. Opera for Everyone is hosted by me, Keely Heron, And me, Pat Wright. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. And like our Facebook page, Opera for Everyone, where you can also send us a message. Thank you for listening. Thanks for listening. And we hope you enjoy the second half of today's episode. Welcome back to the second half of Opera for Everyone. I'm Keely Heron. I'm Pat Wright. And on today's episode, we are listening to Agrippina by Handel. And at the end of the first half of our show, we were just embarking upon Act Two. We concluded Act One, but there are things we have to do before we carry on. There are. I almost—I was getting ahead of myself. I was jumping right into the opera helmet quiz, but we would like to take a moment to acknowledge the efforts of our artists that are featured on today's episode. So this recording was made in 1997 with John Elliott Gardner conducting and the English Baroque soloists on period instruments. And we have Alistair Miles as Claudio, Della Jones as Agrippina, Derek Lee Reagan as Neroni, Donna Brown as Popea, Michael Chance as Otone, George Mosley as Palante, and Jonathan Peter Kenny as Narciso. So that is today's recording, which brings us to my favorite part of the show, because I get to talk for at least three minutes. (laughs) Well, you can always watch the operas ahead of time if you want. (laughs) Right. So the opera helmet quiz. Agrippina is an historically accurate story of Emperor Claudio. At least with historically accurate characters and little historical fiction filling in some of the details. Okay, so, but based on real people who did live in the first century AD, so Claudio was an emperor of Rome. Yes, oh, I'm so sorry, but I'm gonna, could I just interject? Claudius, a lot of folks, the older folks who are listeners, may recall the I, Claudius miniseries that was popular in the 1970s produced by the BBC and played in the United States on Masterpiece Theater and it was a a blockbuster and it deals with all of this action and a little bit besides. I see. Okay. Sorry for the interruption. So that's okay. No, it's good because it's always good for me to get a little bit more historical knowledge. So Claudius was one of the first emperors of Rome in the first century AD. His wife Agrippina is our title character and her son from a previous marriage, Neroni, is one of the central figures in the story because at the beginning we hear that Claudio has perished in a violent tempest at sea and immediately Agrippino begins plotting to put her son Nerone, who is known as Nero, on the throne. So she's reached out to Palante and Narciso asking for their help in achieving her goal of getting Nerone on the throne even though he is not Claudio's son. Because Claudio hasn't named a successor, she's 
taking it upon herself to just say, okay, well, we're going to do that with Neroni. And because both Palante and Narciso are kind of sweet on Agrippina, they agree to help her. So she assembles the, the people of Rome and she gets on the throne and she says, Neroni is going to be named to the throne. One of Claudio's servants arrives and says, I've got great news. He's alive. He's alive. And Agrippina is like, oh, that is great news. <laughs> And so then Neroni, Agrippina, Palante, and Narciso are all up in arms because they all had a a stake in this. Palante and Narciso separately thinking that they were going to be reigning over Rome alongside Agrippina who would reign as regent until her son was old enough to, to reign on his own. Cut to the complicating factor of Ottone, returning i guess and and agrippina greeting him and saying oh thank you atone for saving the life of my husband because atone was one of his commanders of the army and saved claudio's life and so the news reaches agrippina that in thanks for saving his life claudio has pledged to atone that he will name him his successor and Agrippina's like, oh, that's great. And, and Tony's <laughs> like, yeah, except for I just really, the only thing I care about is the woman that I love. And Agrippina's like, oh, yes, who's that? And he says, Popea. And she's like, oh, well, I will help you get the woman of your dreams. And Tony's like, oh, thank you, Agrippina. So then Agrippina goes to Popea, and Popea is saying, oh, I... I'm so beautiful and lovely and everybody's in love with me, including Atone and Claudio and Neroni, but I really only love Atone. And somehow Agrippina overhears this. And then, because she's wily, she uses that against Popea to achieve her objective of getting Neroni on the throne. And so she goes and she manipulates Popea by telling her that Otone actually doesn't care about her. He only cares about ascending to the throne. And because he wants the throne so badly, he has said to Claudio, I just want to be on the throne and I know that you are sweet on Popea, so you can have her if I can have the throne. This is the story that Agrippina tells Popea. And Popeye's like, no, that's not true. And Agrippina's like, oh, yes, it is true. You, just you watch. Claudio is going to come here and tell you. Oh, because before Agrippina arrived, she also overheard Claudio's servant coming to Agrippina saying, he's alive and he's going to come and visit you because he loves you. And so Agrippina. She uses all that information, doesn't she? Uses all of it (laughs) for her own wily ways. So... Agrippina leaves, and then Claudio does come in, and he says to Popea, I love you, and she's like, oh, I'm sure you do. So then the servant comes back in and says, Claudio, you have to leave. Agrippina is coming, and Popea is like, oh, shoot. But she gets what she wants from Claudio while he's visiting her, which is that he says, I will remove Otone Oh, right. Otone will not be my successor. Right. Because Um, you're mad at him and he's trying to take you away from me. I will not permit that to happen. I will remove him from succession. And don't you worry about it, sweetheart. Now come here and kiss me. Right. Because that's (laughs) what Agrippina put her up to. Yeah. Thinking that Otone was was not in love with her. So she's getting revenge on Otone by removing him from the line of succession. But... 
Popea doesn't really love Claudio. Just in the nick of time, the servant comes in and says, hey, Claudio, you gotta go because Agrippina's on the way. So Popea's like, oh, shoot, darn it, all to heck. <laughs> yes. Now we can't be alone. Oh, and what a shame. Like, okay. <laughs> oh, see you later, Claudio. So Claudio leaves and Agrippina comes in and Popea thinks, oh, Agrippina, we're like best friends and we're going to be best friends forever because you told me about this thing that Atone was plotting to ascend to the throne and doesn't really love me. And Agrippina's like, yes, we're best friends. And that's where we ended. Did I miss anything? You did great. You did great. It's a complicated plot. It's a complicated plot. That's only act one of three acts. I want to make just a comment about how this opera is characterized. We spoke about it being a Baroque opera. It is also considered to be an opera seria, which was the dominant form of opera in the 18th century. This serious opera, which has certain elements, including it's going to be based on history, ancient history, or myth, or Greek tragedy. It's going to have noble and heroic people and settings, and there's going to be a happy resolution, even in this ridiculous story. Even if you know every scrap of Roman history, be assured this opera will have a happy ending. Oh, well that's different. But having said all of that, this is a profoundly funny opera in terms of of the settings and scenes that transpire as the result of all these machinations by all of the characters except Otone. He's the only one who plays it straight. Everyone else is trying to manipulate all the other people at various times. So I haven't seen a lot of evidence of humor. No, no, we're, we've, we've done the setup. Oh, I see. Okay. We've done all the heavy lifting. We've done all the setup and you get a sense of how they're all scheming behind each other's backs and how they're all working for their own interests. Mm-hmm. Except Otone, who actually just loves Popea. <laughs> Such a chump. Such a chump. <laughs> Poor man. <laughs> I'll tell you more about him later. But let us start to the beginning of Act Two by explaining we're going to see, I don't know, I kind of like to think of them as Timon and Pumbaa, but they're not. <laughs> the two freedmen who are the ministers of state who are kind of a, a set during this opera. And they're going to put their heads together and realize, in talking to each other, that Agrippina has used both of them, and they're not happy. Oh, so they discover. They have been talking, Mm -hmm. and it opens with them saying, so we've been tricked? And they realize, oh yes, she has messed with both of us, and let us uncover this wicked woman's deeds. So they're in league together, and they're very suspicious and upset with Agrippina. So she's lost those allies. And he says, but wait, here comes Ottone. He's the one who's going to be the the new emperor. And Ottone is going to sing a very sincere aria, which we'll listen to just a little bit of in the beginning. He doesn't know all this other stuff that's happened behind his back. He thinks it's all okay. Earnest as ever... He lets us know that while it's nice to be crowned with the wreath of the emperor, the most important thing is the woman he loves. (laughs) 
opera for everyone, and this is Handel's Agrippina. So, Pat, what happens? We're going to move into a fabulous scene where you begin to get a sense of the comic possibilities, where you have on stage all of our major named characters, except for Claudio, except Mm -hmm. for the emperor. Most of the things they say are parenthetical comments, and then they talk to one another and say the things that that person should hear, Mm -hmm. but then they let us know what they're really feeling. So at one point, after Agrippina and Popea have assured each other of their loyalty, Agrippina will say to Ottone, I've told her of your desires. Don't worry, I helped you out. And then she'll turn to Popea and he wants me to excuse his misdeeds. So they're all angry at Ottone, the only guy who's playing straight here, and they're all scheming for their own ends. Claudius enters, and they all snap into line and sing in praise of the great emperor. To the joyous clamor of trumpets and drums, Rome cheers on its great ruler. Long live triumphant Claudius. what they think the other person wants to hear so that they can manipulate them. And then they're telling us, to the audience, what they are actually thinking. <laughs> yes. And so <laughs> are things going to start to get hilarious in a, in a Baroque way here, Pat? In, in a Baroque way, this is going to be a real thigh slapper. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. So we know what's going on with all our characters and Claudius arrives in a triumphal chariot and he is going to come and sing and tell us about all of his great victories in Britain where he has come from and he's going to talk about what a great thing he is for Rome and he's being every inch the emperor. He'll sing in his aria and we'll hear just a, a small amount of this. Let the subject world itself become the foundation of the Roman throne. Carillon. Thank you. 
Claudio is super proud of himself. He's like, I'm victorious and everybody's loving me and everything's great in my realm. Yes, and we're in a very public setting. Mm-hmm. And so everyone is saying the things that they should be saying. Mm-hmm. Agrippina is expressing her love and devotion and how happy she is that he is alive. He expresses his love towards his wife. Nero comes and offers his devotion to his stepfather. All of the people are saying all the right things to the emperor. And it's Otone's turn. And he says, oh, great Caesar, I am faithful to you and I humbly await my promised reward. Because remember, the last thing that Otone heard... Yeah, is that he's going to be the successor and that he's going to get the girl. Exactly. And Claudius, he does not dissemble here. He turns and he says, You traitor, you have the nerve to appear before me? And at that comment, Nero, Narcissus, and Pallas are like, Oh, this is interesting. And Agrippina is like, Oh, yes, everything's going according to plan. And Otone is dumbstruck. What do you mean, traitor? I I braved dangers to save your life. How could you call me a traitor? And Claudius will hear none of this, and he is enraged, and he leaves. And Otone turns to Agrippina. He says, Agrippina, help me. She says, you're not going to get any help from me, you traitor. And he's completely confused. And then he turns to Popea, and he says... Help me, Popea. And she says, you love the throne. You don't love me. And she turns on him. <laughs> and he goes on and he even turns to, to Narciso and Palante and says, you guys, help me. And they're like, you're on your own, buddy. The emperor's upset with you. We're not spending our time with you. Yeah. So here's the great hero who saved the emperor. And everyone turns their back on him. Everyone. Poor guy. It's, it's terribly sad. <laughs> and there is a heartbreaking scene where he's all alone on the stage and he just is trying to figure it out and this is his aria where he says what dreadful thunderbolt is this why is the emperor so ungrateful why is heaven so unjust how can they possibly call me a traitor i'm the most faithful man that you could find i have served my country well and it's really sad because he's not manipulating anyone he's just incomprehending of what everyone around him is doing it's such a sad reality of how life is all the time yeah you know (laughs) i was getting philosophical it's but it is true it's like i know i know this is why it's a it's actually a really good libretto it's a really good libretto good source material
He's so sad. He is so sad. And even though we're in the middle of Act Two, I'd like to mention a version of this that I watched on YouTube, a pretty recent production by Ars Lyrica Houston, which you can find. It's up in two segments, part one and part two. They divide it in half. And this is where they end the first half. And anyone who wants to see this, easy to access on YouTube. And it has English subtitles, which is nice. Mm. Very nice. They cut out a bit of the libretto, but it's it's a long opera. And they do a beautiful job. And they have two countertenors. Yeah, I still am not able to, like, a, it. it's still um, <laughs> such a feminine sounding voice. The otone in that production is so sincere. And I, I think he does a really nice job. But... Some of these operas, which are not as commonly performed, are hard to find accessible, particularly with English subtitles, to help right. an English speaker understand it. So a shout out to them. You can find them on YouTube, Ars Lyrica Houston, Agrippina. And this is where they end. That's what They put one intermission, and they, they divide it right there. And it's lovely because it, it, really, it really works to end it there. Yeah, the flow, the emotional flow. It works. Still in Act 2, we are in a garden scene, and there's a fountain there, and we see Popea. And here's where things begin to change a little bit, because Popea says how lovely it would be to find my beloved innocent. She's actually stopped to think about what's going on. She says, I feel an urge within myself to be merciful, which is intriguing. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Well, meanwhile... After she says she'd like to be merciful, she says, I probably should listen to his explanation. All she's done now is just yell at him. Mm -hmm. And he's confused. And then she says, oh, wait, I think he's, I think he might be coming. I I think I'm going to pretend to be asleep and see what happens. So she pretends to take a nap in this garden. Otone will come in, and he's a miserable guy. And he sees Popea, and he just expresses his love towards her. And then she pretends to be talking in her sleep. Oh, Otone betrayed me. He betrayed me. And it's breaking Otone's heart. Even in her sleep, she thinks I'm, I'm terrible. How, well, what am I going to do? And she says, oh, Otone's a traitor. And then she wakes up, and we hear Popea talking to herself, having woken up. Well, I guess my dream was right. What could he possibly say in his own defense? What, what could he say that would explain his terrible behavior? Because she believes every word that Agrippina has said to her. Mm-hmm. As she's saying this and she's awake, Otone bursts onto the scene. He says, behold, I am your beloved. I am here. Please allow me to explain. And she begins to run away. I don't want to listen to anything you have to say, in spite of what she's told us in the beginning. And Otone hands her the handle of his dagger. He says, well, then just kill me now. <gasps> just kill me now. And that'll be the end of it. And she she takes the dagger and she points it at him. But then she listens. He says, who could ever believe that I would care more for power than I care for you? My heart is most with you. I love you more than anything else on this earth. I don't believe you. That's not what Agrippina told me. That wicked, treacherous woman. I think she's the cause of my suffering. Her heart is black. So these two are beginning to see through all the schemes. Mm-hmm. Otone sings another heartfelt aria where he tells Popea, I would have you just, not merciful. Judge me by what is true, my darling. I am innocent. Mm-hmm. 
to Agrippina by Handel on today's episode of Opera for Everyone. We've just heard from Otone singing to Popea, his beloved, telling her that he's innocent, that she should believe in his innocence and not pity him. Does she believe him? Does she believe that he's innocent? She does. He is sincere and ultimately persuasive. It takes some time, but he is persuasive. And she will let us know what she's thinking when she finally says, ah, when it trusts, the heart listens. But once deception is uncovered, it makes itself deaf and no longer hearkens to the one who lied the day before. We're looking at you, Agrippina. So she's not going to trust Agrippina any longer. That having been declared, the servant of Claudius rushes in and says, my lady, Claudius is dying to see you. Oh, dear. He needs to speak with you now. And Palpeo pauses and she goes, oh, I guess this is an opportunity for me. I can work my wiles when I see the emperor. So she's got that plan. She's cooking. And in walks Nero. Remember Uh in the beginning, we talked about the three men who were in love with her? Yes. Nero is the third. Nerone. She invites him to come to her chambers. Please come to my apartments, Neroni, so that I can share with you what's in my heart. And he's over the moon. He's ecstatic. He can hardly contain himself. So isn't he like a little kid, though? I mean, how old is he? 
If he can't rule, then she would have to be regent. Well, let's put it this way. He's older than Carabino was in Marriage of Figaro, who was very amorous. I'm, I'm going to say 13, 14, something like that. Okay. He's not portrayed that way in the opera, but he is portrayed as under his mother's thumb, but old enough to be interested in the ladies. Okay. In another scene, we meet Agrippina in her apartments, and she's having some concerns. She's going to say, oh, my plans, they're about to fall apart. I have to, I have to try harder. I have to be craftier. Soon she speaks with her husband, who's come to visit her. And they're still, even though they're not in the public square any longer, they appear to behave towards each other as if they were in a public setting, Mm. proclaiming their love to each other, proclaiming their devotion to each other. And she lets her husband know that she's upset, and he can't imagine why she's upset. She says, well, my dear, people are plotting against you everywhere. And that's not just a random thing she's saying. The prior emperor, after all was murdered, wasn't unheard of, because, well, I won't spend too much time talking about the Praetorian Guard, but they felt that they very much had a, the bodyguard of the emperor felt they very much had a say in who the emperor ought to be. Oh, okay. But she says, people are plotting against you, my dear. We we must secure the succession, and you have just said that it will be my son, so let's just make that happen now, shall we? So he's been told by his servant that Popea is eager to see him, and he's having this conversation with his wife, but his servant says, the Lady Popeye is waiting. You need to you need to go see her now. So he's like, yes, my dear, I'll take care of it. Don't worry, sweetheart. And she says, oh no, you don't understand. This is, this is urgent. This needs to be dealt with right away. Uh, it can wait. No, it can't. Okay, fine, I'll do what you say. Will you do it today? Uh, she says, it's really important. He's like, fine, fine, I'll do it today. She says, okay, I wanna promise that you will crown my son, the new emperor, today. Fine. This very day, I will crown your son emperor. And he leaves. Oh, wow. Because he's got the sweet young thing yeah. waiting for him. Yeah, he's he's got other priorities. That's right. And she is triumphant. She says, oh, I'm getting what I want. In spite of all these things twisting the wrong way, I've got the one who matters saying I can have what I want. And she sings in triumph that she's gotten what she wants. Oh, holy. 
So we've just closed out Act 2, and as we embark upon Act 3, Agrippina is feeling very optimistic about the possibility that uh, Nero is going to be ensconced on the throne by Claudio, who is very distracted because he's going to see Popea, whom he believes is in love with him. (laughs) That's right. I love Act 3. I just love act three there's a lot that's going on and uh, you can really well other parts of the opera you can also play up the comic elements but act three it has elements of farce going on with people hidden behind doors and let's just jump into Popea's apartments and she's there with Ottone and Ottone is still pleading his case I'm not guilty and she says my dearest I accept it I have made ready the means for our revenge. So she's got a plan. Oh. And she says, now, I don't have time to explain everything to you, but you just have to to hide behind those curtains over there, behind that door. Listen, please listen, but be silent. So he sings about how he's going to be quiet, which I actually think is kind of funny right there. (laughs) And pretty soon, in comes Nerone, in comes Nero. Oh, my darling, here I am. I'm... I'm so happy to see you. And Popea greets him warmly. And she says, but sweetheart, I'm afraid of something. I'm afraid that Agrippina is coming here. What? My mother is coming here? He says. And she says, oh, yes. You better hide yourself behind that that other door over there. (laughs) So she's got two men hidden in her rooms at this point. Right. And who is expected next? Claudio. Right, he was hurrying over there as quickly as he could. And she says, Claudius, you act like you love me, but but you don't really love me. He says, what What are you talking about? Of course I love you, I'll do anything for you. Everything I do is because I love you, darling. And she says, well, that man is being more brazen than ever. He's really bothering me. He says, well, how can that possibly be? I've punished him by taking away the throne from him. Popea says, well, I don't understand. What are you talking about? More than ever, he hopes to ascend the throne. Claudius says, well, how could Ottone think he deserves the throne? Ottone, says Popeo, 
what are you talking about? No, I never said Ottone. He says, yes, you said Ottone was the problem. She said, no, I said Nerone was the problem. He's the one who's after me. He's the one who won't leave me alone. Oh. He says, no, 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 I'm sure I heard you say Ottone. She says, no, I said Nerone. I guess those two names sound alike. Aha, the plot thickens. Meanwhile, that they're having this whole conversation, of course, the two men are behind the curtains. Mm-hmm. Happily, Ottone can hear what's going on. But Nerone pops out just to say, I wish I could hear what's going on. <laughs> Popeo further tells Claudius, Oh, my lord, did you not know what happened when everyone thought you were dead? Agrippina set it up so that her son Nerone could be raised to the throne. Claudius says, be quiet. Popeo's like, I think it's working. And we even hear a little word from Ottone, who is quite happy with how Popea is playing this. Nerone finally does hear what's going on, and he's incensed, and he comes out of his hiding place to plead his case with the emperor. Hear me, my lord. And the emperor is incensed. He won't listen to Nerone at all, and he tells him to be gone, get out of here. And as he's being shooed away by the emperor, Popeo says to Nerone, Be sure to tell your mother what happened so that Agrippina will know. And Nerone just sort of hangs his head and leaves. Popea turns to Claudius and says, What do you say now, my lord? I'm convinced. And then she says to herself, Well, I have to get rid of him now. She says, Oh, my lord, but Agrippina, she's going to let loose all her furies. Nerone is going to run to his mother and tell her what happened, and then she will want revenge on me. I'm not safe. But he's like, but I, I came here to, to see you, my darling. I thought we could have some nice time together. Are you crazy? <laughs> this mad woman is going to be after me. You have to save me. You have to do something. <sighs> okay, I will take care of my wife. I will make you safe from her fury, because after all, I am the Jupiter of Rome. So, Pat, Claudio (laughs) is the Jupiter of Rome. Yes. Popea has sent Nerone home to tattle to tell his mother that... He's not going to be emperor. Yeah, that Claudio (laughs) knows that she was plotting to put him on the throne. Yes. And what happens next? Well, next, she pulls Ottone, after Claudio's left to deal with his wife, she pulls Ottone out of his hiding place and they have a little lovely moment together where she says see sweetie I can I can make some plans and set things right for you and he sings about how he loves her and she sings about how she loves him (laughs) 
Is this our happy ending, Pat? We've got the two lovebirds saying that they love each other. Nope, story's not over yet. We are now moving into the Imperial Hall, the final setting of our opera, and we get to see Neroni tell his mother what's happened, and she's incensed of course. that she's lost control of Popea, and Nero's worried because he says, Popea has uncovered all of your stratagems, and she's going to ruin everything, and she says, my son... What you have to do is give up your affection, give up your love for Popea, and I can still help you. As long as you keep your eyes on the most important thing, and that is to become emperor, we can still make this thing happen. And Nero, ever the obedient son, says, Yes, mother, I will give up all of my amorous expectations and desires. And this is one of the better-known arias in the opera, where Nerone sings... As a cloud flies from the wind, I renounced her despised face. The fire now cold within my breast, my heart already loosed its chain. He's given her up. Well, that's harsh. Yeah, but we don't believe him, really.
Roni has agreed to let Popea go, saying that she's dead. She's dead to me. Yes. Did I mention earlier that really truly in history, and Handel's audience would have known this, that Nero, in fact, when he became emperor, took Popea as his mistress, and ultimately he marries her. And Popea is the one who convinces Nero that his mother is too much of a threat and has her killed. And that was the end of Agrippina. Yeah, you did mention that earlier. Yeah, okay, good. All right, so back in the Imperial Hall, Claudius has a chance to hear from his two ministers of state, Palante and Narciso, and they let him know that they're a little bit afraid of what Agrippina's going to do because she's a wrathful, powerful woman. Mm-hmm. And after all, when everyone thought you were dead, she placed Nero on the throne. Mm-hmm. So this is confirmation to the emperor that what Popea just told him is true. Yes. So he's angry with his wife. He's feeling Popea has played straight with him. And he promises to protect these two men. Enter Agrippina, saying, my, my adored husband, please, now is the moment when you must fulfill your promise. Let Nero be crowned this very day. And Claudia's like, yeah, no, I don't think so. He actually says, not so fast, Agrippina. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and she thinks, oh no, things are going sideways again. <laughs> she says, my darling, from your tone, I suspect malicious arts from your and my enemies. Why are you angry with me? He's like, I need to speak with Nero now. Oh, my darling husband. Now I understand. Sometimes when I try to do the right thing and do a good deed, you see it as a crime. And you're thinking, how's she going to pull this one out? The emperor says to her, you call it a good deed to attempt to brazenly usurp my throne? How can you justify your behavior? Agrippina slyly says, my dear, to save your throne and your life was no error. I am so happy that Narciso and Palante are here and they are, they can, like, what? We just spoke against you. She says to ward off the danger, I had my son proclaimed the new emperor. He ascended the throne, but only to preserve it for you, my darling. In defending your life, I maintained your throne against any other rebel. And all they can do is say, uh, yeah, she asked us to help put him on the throne. That's true. Dripping with sincerity, she tells Claudius, who but my own son could sit on the throne without it being a bloodbath? I saved the throne for you. It was no plot against you. But Claudius, darling, now you make me question your loyalty to me. I think there's someone else you are more loyal to than me, your wife. Well, who? Popea. I can see only too clearly that she's a deceitful woman. Agrippina drives Homer point to her husband, the emperor. Well, you're more loyal to Popeo, but it pains me that her deceit is not something you can see. And he says, well, what's the deceit? Agrippina says, this woman, desired by Ottone. Oh, oh no, you're wrong, Agrippina. She was desired by Nerone. Claudius commands, send for Ottone, Nerone, and Popea immediately. Agrippina responds, you will see whether I am lying or she is guilty. And with an aside to the audience, I have already foreseen the outcome. Having sent for everyone, Ottone, Nerone, Popea, he's acting like the, the emperor. 
at this point, taking charge of the situation and says, I need my realm to be in peace. Popeo comes in, Nerone comes in, Ottone comes in, all wondering what in the world is going to happen. And he says, see, Agrippina, your son, that unruly boy, he dares to insult the honor of this blameless maiden by going after her. And Agrippina says, no, you are deceived, my lord. He doesn't go after her. And Claudio says, oh, no, I found him hidden in Popea's apartments. And Agrippina is shocked by this news. Because, of course, Nerone didn't tell her that yeah, part. she didn't know anything about that. No, and Nerone just says, I think I'm going to keep quiet here. Yep. Claudio says, well, his silence accuses him. You can tell us, Popea, that he was there. All too true, my lord. Agrippina lets us know in her aside, I'm still going to win this one, she says. I'm still going to win this one. And Ottone is just bewitched by his beloved. She's so clever, that Popea. <laughs> and Claudia says, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to honor my promise to Ottone. He shall be the next Caesar, the next emperor of Rome. And to you, Neroni, I give sweet Popea. You may have her as your wife. <gasps> At this news, Ottone, whom Claudius expects to be extremely grateful, falls down and says, Behold, my lord, I am prostrate with grief. Well, what's the matter now? <laughs> I'm keeping my promise to give you the crown. He says, No, I don't care for power. All I prize is my dear Popea. If fate ordained that I should save your life in depriving me of my beloved, you bring about my death. And Claudius is just confused. I was trying to help everyone out here. I was trying to resolve things. And he turns to Nero. And you, Neroni, what do you say? He says, I will abide by your wishes, sir, but my punishment is a double one because I'll be deprived of the empire and I will be given a wife. Why is that bad? Because he's given her up. She's dead to him? Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah. She's dead to me. You're dead to me. Right. Right. Not to mention that he has wholeheartedly accepted his mother Agrippina's advice, and he is single-mindedly focused on winning the empire. So Popeye says, well, we can straighten this out pretty easily. Why don't you give Ottone to me and give the empire to Neroni? Just a little switcheroo. <laughs> and he checks with both of them. Seems okay with both of them. And that's your happy ending. <laughs> and Agrippina, see, it's a, this is a Baroque opera. No tragedy at the end. No gnashing of teeth. We all sing together at the end that we're very happy how everything has worked out.
this is where many opera companies choose to end the show, but in the original libretto and in full and complete productions of Agrippina, the goddess Juno appears to bless the proceedings, the goddess of marriage, and the opera ends with a final dance of celebration. That's a crazy ending, Pat. (laughs) Well, just to throw in a bit of a historical context here, Palante, that minister of state, that freedman, Mm -hmm. he's the one who persuaded Claudius to marry Agrippina in the first place. Mm. I just don't understand how Claudio believes that it's a good idea to give up both the woman that he loves and the throne. Like, what's his motivation to do that? He's actually trying to be a good emperor, I believe. He's trying to set things right. He knows he won't live forever. He knows that the lifespan of a Roman emperor is not necessarily assured. Mm. And if you die without a clear designated successor, that causes great turmoil in the realm it does and it undoes a lot of the good that he has done in terms of establishing good bureaucratic practices a stable empire with law and order and he does not want that to be his legacy so it, it makes sense for him to clearly name a successor he, has, he doesn't instantly give up the throne but he names a clear successor once Nero was officially designated as the successor Agrippina was eager to make sure that there was no further change of Claudius's mind. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, it appears that Agrippina decided she didn't want to take any chances, and she had the Emperor Claudius poisoned, and her son Nero becomes the next emperor of Rome. Once emperor, Nero takes Poppea as a mistress, and not too long after, she divorces Ottone and marries Nero. And interestingly, after Nero's death, which, by the way, was due to a military rebellion against him, we have this period of upheaval called the Year of the Four Emperors. There were Mm -hmm. four emperors, Mm. the third of which was Ottone, Otho. He didn't last long, though. It was just a couple of months, and he was killed as well. So this is a lot of great drama from classical antiquity that our extremely talented librettist Grimani puts into a beautiful work and he's fortunate enough to have identified Handel, the young Handel. He was only 24 when this was put out. And Handel gives us an exquisite piece of music that's a little glimpse of the treasures to come from Handel.
Thanks for listening to another episode of Opera for Everyone. I'm Keely Heron. And I'm Pat Wright. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. And like our Facebook page, Opera for Everyone, where you can also send us a message. We know that opera can be challenging. But everyone loves a good story. And a story set to music is even better. That's why our mission is to make Opera opera for for everyone. everyone.